How are you guys? Let's go, let's go. Good morning, good morning. Doing okay today? Enough caffeine yet? Recovered from the Broncos' loss to the black hole? Too soon? Too soon to talk about that. Sorry, sorry. Hey, if you're for the first time, I'm Ron. I'd love to meet you after the service. I'll, I'll be outside in the parking lot with our connection team. And uh, if we can do anything for you, pray for you, please let us know. And again, as Brady said, thanks for joining us online if you're watching online. Hey, I want to celebrate something with you today before we get into this new series that I'm pretty excited about. Well, I'm excited about the series, but I'm also kind of excited about this. So there's this magazine that, uh, that I used to subscribe to. And I, I ended my subscription like five years ago because it was really bad for my soul. And uh, it's called Outreach Magazine. And it's about reaching out to people, which is a great topic, and making disciples and all that. But every year they have this uh, list of the 100 fastest growing churches. And I'd read that and I'd go, okay, I'm not there, so let's not read this anymore. And, and so it came out this year, but they sent us an edition. It's like I'm trying to get rid of this stuff in my life, and it just shows up in the office one day. And I'd, I'd heard a little bit about this new edition, how they're going to measure some new things. So this edition has the 100 fastest growing churches and the 100 largest churches in North America, but has a new list, the 100 uh, fastest reproducing churches. And um, you're going to want to applaud in a second. Don't do that, okay? Just, we'll, point, we'll point up here in a second, and we'll give applause where applause is due. Uh, but we are on the list of the 100 fastest growing churches in North America. And not only that, we're actually in the top 10 which is pretty amazing. All the churches are like way bigger than us, and we're in the top 10. We started over 10 churches last year, and uh, that put us in the top 10. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, the reason that I want to point us upward is God made it possible for us to do this, and he's the one who is worthy of the honor. So can we put our hands together and thank God for what he did to us last year? Uh, we, we get to be a part of something so much bigger than us. It's so far beyond our walls. It's going on in Denver. It's going on in the world. It's really, really a, a beautiful thing. It's quite an honor that, that God has chosen us to be a church planting church. If you're new, it's just a big part of who we are. We're going to multiply disciples and groups and ministries and, and, and churches. Um, but now I want to thank you, okay? So this is going to be kind of weird because I'm just going to be the only one clapping. Uh, but we couldn't do what we do if it wasn't for the generosity of the people that are sitting all around you and all around me right now. Um, so when a church is planted, a church planter is kind of like a, a person starting a business. Um, they, need, they need money, <laughs> they need mentoring, they need help, and, and they need like members, uh, and they need, they need models. And so we give all four of those things to all our church plants, and I mentor most of them, some one-on-one, some in groups. And, and, and Jill gets all kinds of phone calls about systems and stuff. And, and we have members who leave our church and go start their churches. I, I give people a fishing license in the zip codes where they're starting a church. I go, here's our people. Go after them. Take all the ones you want. And, and, um, and, and yet they, they, they really want that money. <laughs> so last year, between we give 10% of our, chur- our church's money away to, to missions. Actually, I think it was more than that. Dustin, could, what was it? 15%? 13%? Like 15% total. And Dustin's a trustee. He knows numbers I don't. And then um, we did a Shark Tank event here where we, we put church planters up here and people give money to them. So between us and Shark Tank, we gave away over a quarter of a million dollars last year. So I want to, no, my turn to clap. You can clap with me if you want, but you're, you're clapping for yourself. But okay. Thank you so much, seriously, for being such a generous church. Uh, something that you do tithe, you give 10% plus, which is why we, we do the same thing. We couldn't do it if you weren't doing it. So thank you so, so much. And it's such a, it's a, it's a huge pleasure to be a pastor of a church that's so generous. So thank you for caring about not only our church and our people and our kids and students. I want to keep getting better and better as a church, just blessing the people who come here. But thank you for caring about people beyond our walls. Thank you. All right, let's, uh, let's get into the message, shall we? Um, so we're, we're doing this series, Unstuck, for a few reasons. 
Um, one is it's, just, it's very consistent with who we are as a church. We're Restoration Community Church. We want to see people's lives restored. And, and for that to happen, they've got to, people have got to break free from the things that have them stuck. Um, also, we're starting this, this new ministry called The Well. And Alan, who's leading that ministry, will be up here in a few minutes. And we'll talk more about that. But we're going to have a number of recovery groups on Wednesday nights here, here in our building. Uh, so I started doing a bunch of research uh, on the 12-step program and, and its origins. Maybe you know a little bit about Bill Wilson and the guys who put this together. They were Christ followers, but they had to kind of keep the Jesus language out and the scriptures out to make it more inclusive. And then uh, back in the 90s, Rick Warren created a ministry called Celebrate Recovery, where he just decided to be more overtly Christian. And uh, there's another ministry of a church down in, in Texas called Regen, and we're using some of their curriculum that's similar to Celebrate Recovery. And so I was reading Rick's messages when they went public with this, this new uh, ministry at Saddleback Valley Community Church in California. And he t- tells this story about a, a boy and his father on, on Saturday afternoon. How many of you had fathers who actually read like old school newspapers made of paper? Like that kind of? Okay, like, okay, if you're Gen X, maybe Gen Z, millennial, you, you don't remember these days. But we used to have newspapers that you, like big paper newspapers. And um, I've recently gone old school. I mentioned a few weeks ago. I, I'm trying to like not be so distracted, so I got rid of Google News and Apple News, and now I'm a proud subscriber to the Denver Post, come on, and the Wall Street Journal, okay? So I get them every day, and I'm that guy at night. I'm reading the newspaper, just like, I'm like, man, I'm just like my dad. I'm rubbing my belly, and you know, I, and uh, same thing, my son's you know, like trying to pull the paper down, and that's what this boy was doing, four or five-year-old boy. He's like, dad, dad, play with me, and the father, just, I just want to chill out and read my paper, and so there was a, a great big picture of the world, and this one a piece of the paper, and he ripped it out, and he tore it up in a bunch of pieces and threw it on the floor like a puzzle, and he said, put that together. That'll keep you entertained, thinking he was so clever. Like, this will take hours. He's four. Like, he's never had a geography class. And so about 10 minutes later, the boy pulls on his dad's pant leg and says, Dad, I'm done. And he looks down at the ground. He goes, oh, my gosh. My son is like a geographical genius. Like, he put the whole world together. He said, son, how'd you do that? And then the son flipped it over, and on the other side, there was a picture of a man. And he, he said, I put this person together, and when I put the person together, the world came together. And that is what this series is about. It's about us getting our persons together and becoming more whole so we can get our, our private world together and so we can help our world be a better place. Amen? Amen. Okay. So if you're new to restoration, our vision is the same for everybody. We want people to know God in the most personal way possible. Uh, we want people to find freedom, which is what this series is about, and then discover purpose and make a difference. But it's really hard to find your, your purpose and make a difference when, when you don't have freedom. So uh, Jesus said he came in the world to set us free. He said, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And so we're all stuck somewhere, right? Do you know where you're stuck? Maybe you don't, but maybe this series will help you find out where you're stuck. So some of us, we're stuck in some real simple places. You know, maybe you, I don't know, you chew your fingernails. Or you, you procrastinate. Or I, I read about tanorexia. Some people are like really into suntans. Maybe you got some simple kind of like, you know, like, like it's not egregious. It's socially acceptable. It's simple. Like sugar. I, I asked my wife this week, what, what's my, uh, my thing? And I was hoping she was going to say sugar because I go, I can probably break free of that one because I've discovered blue bunny ice cream. And I was sober for five days, five days sober. And then last night I fell off the wagon. I'm sorry. I just... So I need help. But, you know, there's, there's those simple kind of things that, you know, sometimes we can recover from and sometimes not. We, we, we can't get free from them. And, and then there are those socially acceptable type of, of uh, addictions and things that get us stuck. And so maybe for you it's, it's money or maybe it's, uh, you know, sports. I read how 
among CrossFitters and bodybuilders and runners that 10% of all people who are like way into fitness, that, that they get addicted to it. And so it just becomes like this obsession. Maybe, that, maybe that's you. But that's a socially agreeable obsession, right? And so is being successful. And you know, m- maybe your thing is Fortune Magazine or your friends or whatever. Um, here, here's mine. I, I asked Chris, I go, now, what do you think is my addiction, my, my area of stuckness? She goes, this thing, ministry success. Um, nothing wrong with seeing people's lives change, right? I mean, that's pretty socially acceptable. You know, it looks pretty good. And, and seeing churches planted, nothing wrong with that. For, for me, it's an issue of motives. Am I doing it because this God has changed my life, and I know I'm grounded in his love, and I'm satisfied? Like, he satisfies me, and I want other people to experience him. Or do I still believe that I need more success to be happy? It was funny. After I got this magazine, I, I read through it. And of course, I'm looking at articles and friends and mine are on there. And, and I thought to myself, okay, that's okay. You ever do that? Like, you, you achieve something, or you get honored, and, and then you go, I thought it'd be a bigger deal than that. You know? You're like... Like you climb a 14er and you go, well, that's cool. What's the next one? <laughs> and that's kind of what happened to me. I, like, it's, it's this insanity of addiction. It's like, okay, well, no big deal. Man, what do we got to do next year to get on that list? That, that's, that, that was me. So that's, I wrestle with that. I think a lot of pastors do, but that's my thing. <clears throat> then there's, then there's uh, the socially sort of not accepted types of addictions. And, and those are the ones that you know, have a lot of shame with them and stuff. So maybe it's a gambling addiction, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's a substance. Um, and, and, and I just want you to know, if you're new here today and you're stuck in one of those more sociably unacceptable things, uh, you're in a church full of grace. And, and so welcome to the fellowship of the stuck and the broken, and uh, we're going we're gonna to get free together. Amen? Amen. Okay. So here's where I'm going to roll. Uh, we're we're kind of loosely taking three steps of the recovery program and I'm not going to talk about them, but we're kind of thematically hitting them every, every uh, week. And today, the, I think the first three steps are really about hope. But you can't have hope until you realize you need it, and you're feeling kind of hopeless, and you need some help. And so we're going to talk about trying to figure out where we're stuck, and then we're going to seek God's help to get unstuck. Okay? You guys open for that? You up for that? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for everyone who's here today. Uh, we thank you that you meet us wherever we are, uh, whatever our background is, whether we're following your son or not, whether we're... You know, spiritually really new, or whether we're really mature. There are people in here that they almost seem sinless. I mean, they're so mature. But we're all somewhere, and we're all stuck somewhere. And uh, we will be until we're finally fully free in Christ as we enter into heaven in the future. But for now, uh, you want to get us increasingly free. And you want to give us hope. And so I, I pray that today we could, we could find grace, truth, and hope in you. And uh, that this series would create a whole new level of freedom for us as individuals and as a church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So we're in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 today, and this passage is kind of dense, and if you're new to Scripture, it has a lot of Old Testament sort of references and typology going on, and so uh, be patient with yourself as I read through this. I'm going to try to unpack it for you. So uh, verses 1 through 4 in chapter 10 say, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Okay, you get all that? Yeah, I mean, I didn't either the first 20 times I read it. Um, So what's happening here is the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church he helped start in Corinth, which would be modern-day Greece. And if, again, new to Scripture, he wrote the the biggest percentage of the letters in the New Testament. And he's trying to build up this church. 
And he is assuming that his Gentile audience has learned a few things from their Jewish friends about the history of Israel. And so he's comparing their, their journey out of, out of spiritual idolatry. We'll talk more about that later, how they worshiped idols. Their journey out of slavery to these idols and to sins that were holding them back and, and towards freedom with the journey of the Israelites who had gone to Egypt. And so he's referring to the, the journey of the Israelites coming out of, of Egypt and back into the land of Canaan. And if you don't know that story, uh, they, they followed Moses out and they were, they were slaves and uh, God, God sort of represented himself through a cloud, and they would follow him in a cloud during the day and a fire at night. And then uh, Moses gave them the Ten Commandments, and so he's talking about the baptism of Moses, but really it was like a baptism in the teachings of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And then when they were going through the desert in Sinai, God provided manna and quail for them and water from a rock because there was no water, and Moses hit a rock, and water came out of it, supernatural. And he's saying that's kind of like what the Corinthians were experiencing in Christ. When you begin to follow Jesus, he becomes your bread, and he satisfies the deepest parts of your soul, and he becomes like living water, springs of living water, he say, will flow within you if you follow me. My spirit will come inside you, and I will satisfy you the deepest part of your soul. And then he's comparing Jesus, our rock, our foundation of our faith with this rock out in, out in the desert. And so he's using some of this, this physical, historical like, language in a typological way to help us understand and help the Corinthians understand what they have in, in Christ. Uh, but what I think is really important for us to ask at this point in the text is, why do people get enslaved to begin with? Well, why did Israel wind up going to Egypt? Well, they went there because they were hungry. They went there because they were trying to survive. So, again, a little more history about Israel, if you're new to Scripture. Uh, they, they lived in Canaan when they were fairly small. And then uh, one of Jacob's 12 sons, Joseph, became a slave. His brothers threw him in a well and... He was carried off, and, and he was imprisoned in Egypt, but he was uh, a man who had favor with God and brilliant, became a leader, and he had this dream that there would be seven years of famine, and so he prepared Egypt for that famine, but he had a vision that he would also be helping nations around Israel, including his own people, Israel. And so when the famine hit, the reason the Israelites went to Egypt was because they were hungry, and they were thirsty, so they were hoping for some of that Kentucky Fried Alligator in the Nile and some of that quail filet that they'd heard about and some water, and that's just, they needed that to survive. They didn't know that later they'd become slaves, and that every day they'd have to go make a bunch of bricks, and they'd have a quota, and if they didn't meet their quota, they, their backs would be beaten with rods. They'd have to find their own mud, their own straw. They didn't, they didn't mean to get enslaved. They got enslaved because they were trying to survive. And so the point of this passage, I think, is we need to give ourselves some grace. You need to give yourself some grace. If you're enslaved to something today, you need some grace. Um, grace is the antidote to shame. We feel shame over being stuck and being addicted. We isolate and we hide and we don't tell people about our problem. And, and that keeps us stuck. That keeps us from getting free. So give yourself some grace. So maybe you're wrestling with alcohol. Maybe that's your thing. Well, when you were in that fraternity and you'd go out on Friday nights with your fraternity brothers, you know, you weren't an alcoholic then. You were just wanted to hang out with some friends and have a good time. And you discovered after a couple of beers you were funnier and you told better stories. You know, and you're a lot more attractive to the girls. And then you, you didn't know you had like a chemical propensity towards addiction and then you got hooked. You didn't mean to become a slave. It just happened. And, and, and you became an anorexic 
because you just felt so out of control and food was the only thing you could control. And when you started out exercising, you were just trying to be healthy and take care of your body. You didn't know that you know, you'd become addicted to endorphins. You'd start working out four hours a day. Okay. And when you got in that relationship with that man or that woman, I mean, it started off you know, with lots of promise and lots of hope. I mean, he treated you really, really well, and he respected you, and, and he honored you. And then, then you got in this relationship, and you didn't know later that you'd start feeling dirty and feel used, and you'd get all meshed financially, and that you, you didn't feel like you could break free. And she looked really good under your arms, and she made you feel good about yourself. You, you didn't know that, that once you got deep in the relationship, you could never make her happy. But now you feel stuck. But you, you didn't mean to get stuck. You didn't mean to become enslaved. You, you got there because you were trying to live. So give yourself some grace. Will you do that? Can we just do that today? Can we just give ourselves some grace, please? And then can we give each other some grace? Yeah, you can clap for that. You and me, Yeah. Because the people around you that, that are stuck, they, again, they didn't intend to get stuck. They were just looking for some life. I've got a brother-in-law, and he called me years and years ago, and he, he said, Ronnie, don't call me Ronnie, please. <laughs> but my sisters do, and it's a really bad habit. They can't break it. They still think I'm like five. And uh, he goes, Ronnie, he goes, uh, done some bad things, and I'd heard a bit about what had happened with me and my sister. And um, he said, I need your help. And so he flew me down, and I spent three days with him, and and uh, was able to share the gospel with him, and he became a Christ follower. And uh, he, he had been addicted to a, some different chemicals, including alcohol. And, and uh, you know what? I never felt any judgment towards him because I, I thought to myself, you know what? If I'd gone through what he went through, if I was an A-4 jet fighter pilot you know, in Vietnam, and, and if a bunch of my friends got killed, and I got kind of crazy one day, and then I, I took too many risks, and then I got shot down, and if a guy tried to kill me with a crowbar when I landed in a rice paddy field, and then I went up in the Hanoi Helden where I got tortured until the war was over, I got a hunch I'd be doing some drinking too. Wouldn't you? you know? So I, I, I never judged him. You know, people don't intend to get enslaved. So that's the first, first thing we need to learn today is we got to give ourselves some grace, right? So let's, let's do that. Um, let, let's continue. Now, this next part's pretty dense, and it's a little heavy, but it's... We're going to end with a lot of hope, okay? So hang in there with us. This is going to be the heavy part. Uh, verses 6 through 12. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Uh, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages, very key phrase, has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Okay, again, a lot of content there. So again, he's, he's comparing the, the journey, the spiritual journey out of slavery and into freedom of the Corinthian Christ followers with the Israelites. And so he's referring to when the uh, Israelites were waiting for Moses. He was on Mount Sinai, and there was a cloud, and, and it just kept going on and on. They weren't even allowed to touch the mountain, but Moses was up there 40 days and 40 nights, and they thought, well, guess he's dead. Guess God's abandoned us. And the, the gods of the, the people in the neighboring tribes and nations, they all worship bulls, and so they, they had like a, a big party one night, threw a bunch of gold into a fire, and kind of funny, later, Moses comes down, throws his iPad down, breaks it. He's so mad at what he sees, and Aaron goes, yeah, we just threw all this gold and a fire, and out came this bull, and now we're worshiping this bull. You know, I think that's funny. <laughs> I mean, again, again, addiction makes us stupid. Like, really, we're going to believe that? But they started worshiping this bull, okay? And so he's referring to how 
how the Israelites, they, they stopped worshiping God and they went back to the idols that, they, that the people around them were worshiping. The same kind of things that had been happening to them in Egypt. You see, we're not very good at being free. We get free for a while, God sets us free, and we find ourselves going back in the pig pens and we find ourselves going back to idols. And that's what was happening with, with the, uh, the people in Corinth. There was uh, the temple of Apollo there where they would worship idols and the temple of Artemis. And so some of these Christ followers were going back to their former idols. They were celebrating the feast. And there's a whole bunch of stuff in 1 Corinthians about eating meat, sacrifice to idols. But accompanying their, their worship of these idols, both the Israelites and the Corinthians, there was a lot of sexual immorality that took place. And so uh, it's referring to how the, uh, the Israelites, when they went into Moab, they went to the, the temple of the, the goddess, the fertility goddess that the Moabites worshipped, and there was a lot of temple prostitution that was going on. And so God killed 23,000 men who had had sex with these temple prostitutes. And then in, in Corinth, there, there was the cult of Artemis, another fertility cult, 1,500 years or so later, uh, like 1,000 years later. And, and the, again, people were going there. In fact, if you were a woman in Corinth, you had to serve at the temple at least once in your life and have sex with a stranger. There, there's a piece of literature I found from the first century by a historian named Strabo. And this is what he says about the temple of Aphrodite. He, he says, the temple of Aphrodite in Corinthos, in the days of the tyrant Kypselos, who I guess was like the mayor that no one liked, uh, was so rich that it owned more than 1,000 temple slaves, prostitutes, one and the same. Sex trafficking has been around since the beginning of time whom both men and women had dedicated to the goddess. And therefore, it was also on account of these women that the city was crowded with people and grew rich. For instance, the ship captains freely squandered their money, and hence the proverb, not for every man is the voyage to Corinthos. So a lot of men would come in on their boats and ships and stuff. It was an import-export maritime city, and they'd go to the temple and lose all their money. So not for every man is the voyage to Corinthos. And maybe we think, well, good thing that doesn't happen anymore. Really? Now we don't go to the temple, we just go to the internet, right? So 80% of all men uh, have looked at porn in, in the last month, and now 50% of all women, it's, women are catching up with men, have looked at porn last month, and that's, that's one of the primary sources of addiction now in our, in our culture. Okay. So again, I won't say it to shame you, but just hope that you'll come out of light. Our groups in, on the well, we're going we're gonna to help you all get free, free from pornography and free from, from other addictions as well. But, but the primary category here is not... It's not about sexual immorality or sexual addiction. It's, it's idolatry. <clears throat> so give me a few minutes to try to compare idolatry with addiction because I think they're pretty much the same thing, okay? So, for example, um, both idols and addictions or whatever things we get stuck in, they, they tend to replace God. We, we, we look to our idols and our addictions to give us life instead of God. God is to be our ultimate source of life. He created us, and he can sustain us, and he can satisfy the deepest parts of our heart, but we tend to not believe that and put faith in that, so we look to other things. Are you with me? Okay? Let me, let me just unpack this in illustration. Think about football. So some of you might have a football addiction. I'm not looking at our football coach in the front row. He's fine, I think. But you, we, we do get addicted to that, do we not? And so again, it's a socially acceptable addiction, so it's, we go, ah, oh, it's not that big a deal. But we have, we've, I know people who, man, football is their life all day Saturday, all day Sunday, fantasy football, 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 football. And think, think about what happens now when you go to a football stadium. Is it not like going to church? As we become increasingly secular society, sports are replacing God and church. And so you, you walk into a stadium and you, you pay your offerings. You know, you put it in a basket, but you, you, you pay money. And, and some people like the same seats like they do in church, and so they pay extra money to get the same seats every time. And then you, you walk into the stadium, and they're ushers. Uh, they're, they're actually handing out hot dogs and beer, but they're like ushers. 
And then you got the cheerleaders are like greeters. And they're smiling at you. Like our greeters smile at you when you, when you come in. That's my reminder to pray. Um, and and then, uh, then you get in your seat. And, and then there's, there's the stage. And there's music going on. That, you know, the worship team is either doing, there's bands or there's a playlist going on. So you're like, you know, begin to get hyped up, get ready for the, for the main event, which is the football game. And then, uh, then there's like the stage or the altar. And there are people out there on the football field and they're sacrificing themselves. They're risking concussions on your behalf because worship always involves sacrifice. Does it not? Right? I mean, love involves sacrifice. Worship involves sacrifice. Forgiveness, Jesus, go to the cross. To sacrifice himself for us. And so they're sacrificing themselves. You're like, yeah, we just sacrifice yourself for me on that field. And then your team scores a touchdown. What do you do? You stand up, you cheer, and you raise your hands like we do in worship as a, as a sign of like, you know, transcendence and surrender and gratitude. And yeah, I'm single. No, I'm not. You know, check me out. You know, we, so this, and, and we, feel, we feel a sense of community and oneness with the people around us who are celebrating our team. Is it not a lot like worship? Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't mean to ruin your football today, okay? But, but I'm just saying, we have this, we have to worship something. And so if we don't worship God, we're going to worship something, football or something else. So, so addictions and idols both replace God. Um, also, they both disappoint us. Uh, so if, if Broncos are your team, Monday night hurt, did it not? Black hole won. That's what happens. Um, all addictions ultimately disappoint us. They always promise to give us a whole lot more than they give in return. And they actually, they always take more than they, they give. In fact, Jonah 2.8, it's not in the slide deck, but it's a great verse. It says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. So again, they, they rob us of grace. They rob us of life. And, and they can destroy us. So back to the temple of Aphrodite and the, the Moabite temples, you know, and the, the sexual cultists around it. We just watched Jeffrey Epstein just go up in flames, right? That was a high-profile one, but that happens all the time. Not just because of pornography, but addiction, so often it ends in people losing their reputations and their money and it breaks up marriages and breaks up families. But, but even, even the addictions and the idols that um, may not have the temporal consequences that some addictions do, they still can destroy us. Even the little ones. Like, like your motives for success. Uh, oops, I just lost my message. Um, there we goes. You know, motives are huge. So Paul talks about the culmination of the ages, and he's saying that the, the future is in the present because Jesus brought the future into the present. And, and so right now he's saying, stand firm. Stand firm in your faith and who you are in Christ. Be careful that you don't fall. And so he, he's saying we're, we're all making choices, and our choices are making us. Spiritual formation is happening in all of us. Whatever you believe Whatever your practices are, you're being formed spiritually with every choice you make. And that includes your motives. You choose your motives. So me choosing to make disciples and build a healthy church and reproduce churches because I've already received love and, and God's goodness in my life, not because I'm trying to get something, makes all the difference in terms of how I experience the present and the future. Let me tease it out. So um, I'm not going to retire. I told Chris when we got married, I go, hey, I'm... I love what I do. I saw my dad get retired at 58. I just, it's not my gig. I'm not going to, like, stop working and go play golf in Miami for the rest of my life. And, 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 and I, but honestly, I wouldn't want to, okay? So let's just say I did want to retire at 60 and go somewhere. Um, it, would not be, it would not be Miami or Boca Raton. I've been there. I love that, I love that place as a place to visit. But I would, that would be like hell for me. 
Like if you put me on a, like a patio home and said, you got to golf every day and play cards with your friends, I'd go, oh my gosh, shoot me in the head. You know, I don't like golf. Some of you, are, we got PGA level almost golfers here. And for you, that might be heaven. Like you like, you love golf and you love warm weather. You like to sweat. You know, you would love to live there forever. But I've been shaped by this culture, and I feel like I'm already where I want to live the rest of my life. I feel like this is as close to heaven as I'm going to get this side of heaven. I love Denver. We're going to Moab today. I love the mountains. And so um, that's, just, that's just me. But my choices have created a desire to stay here and not go there. And our choices are either creating a desire and a movement in us towards the kingdom of God or someplace else. That, that's why these little addictions that we think, ah, oh, they're not that big a deal. No, they're actually a really big deal. Because, again, we make our choices, and our choices make us. And so if I do the things that I do because God loves me and because I just want to do his will out of gratitude and out of worship, then I'm going to keep moving deeper and deeper in the kingdom of God. But if I do what I do because I'm trying to get some needs met that I feel like he's not doing a very good job with, I'm going to move away from the kingdom of God. And that's kind of scary, isn't it? You know, C.S. Lewis said, for some people, heaven would be like hell. And so God never sends anybody to heaven or hell. And I don't like talking about heaven or hell. It's kind of like stark. But, but we send ourselves there with every single choice we make. We either receive God's grace and move deeper in it or we move away. Does that make sense? Kind of heavy, right? Here's the point. Here's the point. Give yourself some truth. Give yourself some grace or you're not going to be able to focus on whatever's holding you back. But give yourself some truth. You've got to, to get free, you have, you have to face your truth, the truth about what has you stuck. If you don't know what has you stuck, ask God, talk to friends. So often we can't see ourselves. Ask your friends, the people that know you the most. But find your truth. Find out what it is that's holding you back from all that God has for you. Amen? Amen. All right, now it's going to get better. We're going to end with hope. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I'm speeding up because I want to get you guys out of here in time. Um, so <clears throat> this is one of the most hopeful verses in the Bible. I memorized it. A guy had me memorize it early in my discipleship journey. I'm so glad it served me so well. He, he's saying temptation, which that word there can mean a trial like cancer or like a broken relationship or losing your job. Or it can mean a temptation to sin. It's based in the context. In this context, it's referring to sin. He said, no temptation is overtaking you, taking you, but what is common, right? So things haven't really changed that much. Forms have changed. Technology has changed. The human nature has not changed. You got, you got the Moabite stuff going on. You got the stuff going at the Temple of Artemis, and you got the stuff going on today, right? But we haven't changed that much. So look at the person on your right. Look at him. The person on your left. Unless you're Jeff Grothy in the front row, and there's nobody there. Um, yeah. Okay. They are wrestling with the same kind of temptations you are. It's a great equalizer. We're all tempted with the same kind of stuff. It just looks different based on how we're wired. Okay? So we're all tempted, but here's, here's the good news. God provides a way out. Now, a lot of temptations you can overcome with your will. I'm pretty sure I can beat sugar with my will. And, and the more I follow Jesus, the stronger it gets. And the things that tempt me now, I'm pretty sure won't tempt me in the future. And the same is true of you. Will's like a muscle, gets stronger. The more we are spiritually formed like Christ, we get stronger and stronger. But there are some things your will can never conquer. Your will is almost useless when it's a chemical dependency. Your chemical is almost useless overcoming uh, a father wound, a mother wound, wound, some kind of trauma in your past. And, and that's why we all need God. Because we've all got something back there that keeps us from being free. 
And God promises us, and this is so good, he promises us he will always give us a way out. So no matter how bad it is, there's always a way. There's always a way out. There is always hope. If you will connect yourself and depend upon the greatest power in the universe, the, cow, the power that made the universe, which is God himself. So I want to share with you uh, a friend of mine who has a story about getting free. Can you guys please put your hands together for Alan Reed as he comes up right now? Uh, so Alan is starting the ministry on Wednesday nights called The Well, and um, we're super excited about that, and uh, I'll tell you a little more about that in a second. But, but Alan has a, a, just a great story of God giving him victory over some addictions in his past, and so he, uh, he volunteered to share a little bit about his story, his journey into addiction and add addiction with God's help. So, Mike is yours. Yeah, well, my story started uh, as just a young kid having a mom that abandoned uh, my, our family and uh, a dad that was an alcoholic. So from an early, early time in my life, I was just developed trust issues where I was in pain and I didn't feel like I could trust anybody, but I still had that longing inside my heart to be loved. And so what I did is I, I really adapted another way of getting those needs met through uh, just trying to please people and offering people a different version of who I was than the real me. And so uh, as that developed uh, into my adult years, I wasn't bringing my true self. It was kind of an imposter that I was bringing. He was handling all the important things in life, and it looked pretty good on the outside. How did it manifest itself? Like, um, you know, what did you turn to in your false self stage to find satisfaction? Relief, well, it, it, for me, it showed up uh, with, again, a desire to be loved, but never feeling like I could get it. So pornography was a, an issue for me. I tried to get those needs met that way. Um, but a number of different ways that just to medicate pain, I, I was hurting. Yeah. And I really wanted connection, but I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it with people, and I couldn't find it with God. So what was your way out? How did, based on this verse, what, how did God help you find a way out of of your false self and out of your tendencies towards addiction to greater freedom? For me, that was uh, my truth encounter. I had to uh, face into the fact that I wasn't living the best life that I could live. And so for me, truth came in the form of, of feeling desperate enough that I went and, and plugged into a 12-step program where, where there I got to hear other guys share from their heart and, and come clean. And so what my escape came in the form of community, came in the form of hearing other people's stories, and, uh, and it really came in, in the form of, of God showing me that in the light, I could experience freedom like I'd never had before. So the journey of those 12 steps and the journey of, uh, of his presence in my life through community uh, transformed everything. And so today I, I'm free of shame, I'm free of guilt and, and condemnation, I'm free of staying stuck inside my head all the time, uh, and, and that freedom is, has been uh, a pathway out that God led me into a real relationship with him where now I come bringing me instead of somebody else. That's so good, that's so good. 
Alan, can you just share this maybe a couple sentences of vision regarding what you're hoping the well will, will be about and what it will do for people? A safe place where you, because uh, it takes courage to, to face into things that sometimes we just want to ignore. So the well is going to be a safe place where you can work. There's a, there's a growth track to it, so you can really work on those issues. But you're going to be around people that won't uh, shame you. Uh, they're with you. And I, I believe it's for everybody, not just people that had issues like I have, but anyone that's got something that they want to work on. Can we pray for the well, for Alan? Yeah. Father, we, we thank you so much for Alan's story, and we thank you for his desire to uh, spread the freedom he's discovered in you with others. Thank you for the, the significant leadership gifts you've given him. We, we pay your, your blessings on he and Chris and their family, and uh, pray that you would use the well to set many, many people free. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Can you guys thank Alan for sharing his story with us? All right, Restoration, we're going to close. I'm going to ask you to receive something, okay? I'm going to ask you to receive some grace. Will you do that? Receive some grace today. Give yourself some grace. Will you give each other some grace? Will you receive some truth? Will you leave here and be more honest about where you're stuck? And share that with other people. And if you, if you don't know where you're stuck, will you ask God to show you and ask people to help you find it? Because we're all stuck somewhere. And, and then will you receive his hope? I mean, he really does want to help you. And with God, there's always a way out. So if you're willing to receive these things, will you pray with me right now? This prayer agrees with your heart. Just say amen here in a moment. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we believe that you want to give us grace. And, and we see that grace on the cross. Uh, we see a God who is willing to become a human being to show us how much he loves us. We see forgiveness. We see mercy. We see grace being released. We believe we can't earn your salvation. We can only receive it. And so we receive it right now. And, and Father, we, we need truth. Uh, Jesus came to be the light of the world. And so please bring your light in the dark places in our hearts where we need to be honest with ourselves, where maybe we're, we're deceived or minimizing truths that we need to face and embrace. And then, Father, will you please... Please give us hope. I, we believe that you want to set us free. And we believe that we don't always have the power to set ourselves free. So we're, we're trusting in your power to give us a way out and to set us free, to be all that you made us to be. And this is our prayer. And if it's yours, say amen. Fantastic. You guys look up. Hey, can we thank God for what he's doing in our hearts today? Yeah.